Welcome to Series 2, Episode 6 of the Spotlight on Financial Services Tax Series. Today we'll be discussing all things cryptocurrency and touch upon how tax authorities are choosing to respond to the growth in the use of digital assets to ensure taxpayers are paying the right amount of tax. I'm very pleased to be joined by my colleague Anna Zeitlin, who's a director and the head of fintech and financial services, PwC Legal Middle East. So Anna, let's get right into it. Cryptocurrencies or virtual assets have been around since around 2013, and yet there's still some confusion behind how they actually work. Would you mind giving us a brief overview of what cryptocurrencies are and why they might have become increasingly popular over the years? Hi, Bilal. Yeah, certainly. So cryptocurrencies are basically any form of currency that exists digitally digitally or virtually and use something called cryptography, which uh, in English is really just encryption to secure their transactions. Cryptocurrencies are not controlled by any authority. Instead, they operate on a decentralized system with crypto miners working in the background to update the ledger. The ledger is otherwise known as the blockchain. So what that means is that all buying, selling and storing of cryptocurrencies is executed on the blockchain. And once the execution has taken place, the record on the blockchain may never be erased. As to your question as to why they've become increasingly popular over the years, well, I think during the pandemic, they certainly experienced a boom. Many of us were locked at home and looking for new hobbies. And I think other than that, we've seen a real advantage to cryptocurrencies for political reasons, in particular when it comes to sanctioned individuals or sanctioned countries still looking to do business, but struggling to deal with the traditional banking systems. Thanks, Anna, for that uh, for that uh, great kind of explanation. I think there's, there's always a lot of kind of confusion around this. So any discussion on crypto virtual assets always needs to start from well what is it um maybe kind of moving on i think what we've seen is the kind of the volume of transactions in this space is 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 growing um and particularly growing faster in the middle east um compared to other regions uh, we've seen kind of public and private enterprises in saudi have recently shown interest in the potential of, of blockchain uh, and the uae is already known to be uh, the region's crypto hub and potentially uh, quite important in the global stage as well. Um, would you be able to shed a, a light on the key drivers of the growth in crypto adoption, uh, particularly in the Middle East and perhaps specifically in the UAE? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think what we see in the Middle East um, and in particular the UAE is a young population quite a large young population and ultimately the young population are interested in anything technology and so when you look at the users of cryptocurrency there's certainly a skew in terms of the age demographic and of people using crypto and I think that that is particularly interesting in in this region where young people have access to technologies such as smartphones, et cetera, um, and are looking for a way to make money perhaps without too much investment. There's also the issue that I touched on before. There are several countries in this region who have been subject to sanctions regime, 
on the international scale and don't have access to those traditional banking routes that um, other countries might do. So I think that's been a real driver as well. We've certainly seen, for example, Iran being a huge, um, having a huge uptake in crypto users and crypto miners. And then lastly, I think that we've got to pay attention to the governments in the region here. The governments are quite pioneering and they are keen to become market leaders really in almost any any avenue. But actually, there's a particular interest in technology. And certainly we saw the government of Dubai um, talking about blockchain far before it was a word in common use. So I suppose those three reasons really, uh, really sum up the main um, the main drivers of growth in crypto adoption in this region. Yeah, thanks, Anna. I mean, by the way, the kind of the landscape's looking, it wouldn't be sort of surprising to see more activity um, in the Middle East. And perhaps just touching upon that last point of yours, um, and potentially a bit of a controversial topic when it comes to crypto or virtual assets, um, what, what's the kind of current state uh, or the landscape of, of, of regulation in this space, maybe even just looking at the UAE? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think what we can say is that the regulatory frameworks have certainly been set in motion, but they are by no means a finished product. And what we've seen, even within a small country such as the UAE, is many different regulatory regimes kicking off. So perhaps the most famous or the most spoken about at the moment is VARA, the Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority. Um, this authority governs the Emirate of Dubai, um, excluding the financial free zone of the DIFC, and really um, encourages cryptocurrency businesses to come and, and, and get licensed by, by VARA. We've also got limited options in the DIFC. Um, traditionally, the financial free zone has been slightly hostile towards cryptocurrencies, but we've seen an opening up of their, their approach towards crypto in the last few months. We've got the ADGM in Abu Dhabi, um, and they were actually quite an, quite an early adopter of crypto companies and, um, and using their existing FinReg. Uh, framework to cater to those kind of companies. We've also got a couple of lesser known free zones. Um, worth pointing out is the DMCC free zone um, and their crypto center. They have a partnership with Security and Commodities Authority, so that federal regulator, and they also offer a licensing regime for crypto companies. And just in the last week, we've had an announcement in the Emirate of Ras al-Khaimah that um, there is a now a digital asset free zone, a specific free zone dedicated only to digital asset companies. I have some quite close contacts in the Ras al-Khaimah and government, and they've confirmed that the regulations for that free zone are not yet in place, but they are on the horizon. So watch this space. There's a lot going on. Well, it certainly sounds like there's uh, there's there's definitely a lot, and perhaps the start uh, of something a lot larger uh, and a lot bigger for years to come. So, uh, great to see um, the UAE um, really taking uh, taking a step forward in that space. Um, maybe kind of just thinking about kind of the, the, from a sort of tax perspective, um, 
there's there's because of the kind of rapid development of 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 these assets and and, and this market um and particularly the use of these assets for investment um the OECD uh recently announced uh one the amendment to the existing exchange of information regime the CRS or the common reporting standard um and but two i think more importantly a completely new framework um, called the CARF or C-A-R-F um, and that stands for the Crypto Asset Reporting Framework um, which is essentially a piece of legislation um, introduced to address some of the risks um, of, or instances of tax evasion uh, via the use of kind of crypto digital assets and, and, and reporting those or reporting those transactions to increase transparency. Um, It'd be good to kind of get your get your perspective on um, how you think this is going to impact the UAE, um, particularly given the kind of the, the broad and open culture uh, the UAE has adopted towards these uh, these assets. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So. I see this development as being a relatively straightforward and, and quite a logical one, really. So my thoughts is that the OECD felt that their current reporting framework severely limited the regulatory oversight of crypto virtual digital asset activities. And so therefore chose to put in additional rules and regulations for those activities, which is now known as the CARF. So to take this concept and apply it to the wider legal framework for crypto activities across the world, we do see now various governments and their uh, relevant regulators starting to adopt similar practices. Actually, the UAE and in particular VARA, the virtual asset, is a really good example of this. So it's the first the world's first crypto regulator and I think that they're keen to set a world-class precedent. So VARA doesn't just issue licenses to businesses working in the crypto industry, it also requires certain businesses to declare particular transactions even though those businesses may not fall within the licensing regime's remit. So the rule essentially is that any entity investing in its own virtual asset portfolio above 250 million US dollars during a rolling 30-day calendar period must register with VARA prior to investing, but no later than three days after investing the amount. So whilst there's no current standalone crypto taxation framework in the UAE, considering the country's commitment to strengthening its partnership with the OECD and its constantly evolving crypto landscape, um, the UAE is looking to continue to adopt industry best practices. And frankly speaking, we're quite excited to see what's to come. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly very, very interesting. And maybe maybe just as to as we kind of come come towards the end, what are the kind of key considerations when we think about things like crypto asset service providers? And then we think about the interaction with the legislation such as the CARF. What are the key considerations that such service providers in this market um, should be considering? Yeah, I suppose there are, there are quite a few things that should be considered. Um, 
from the standard regulatory requirements to the more technical and crypto specific requirements. I suppose crypto businesses really should try to ensure a level of transparency in their transactions and their related financial details. I appreciate that this is not a wholly natural position for many crypto businesses who, frankly speaking, do enjoy the anonymity of the trade. But that mindset will really need to change as we move into this globally regulated um, world. Um, Secondly, I would say crypto businesses, like all prudent companies, should really ensure that they have properly drafted and stringent AML CFT policies and procedures. I think that this will really help ensure compliance with um, with legal requirements and the company in good stead when it comes to audits. And then I think the last point is, and this is a point that's often overlooked, but considering the amount of data that is often processed by crypto businesses, they must also ensure that they have the correct data protection uh, and privacy policies in place. I think that this is something which is often overlooked, but is really critical to, to businesses. And much like we're seeing an increase in cryptocurrency regulation on a global level, we're also seeing a real uptake in data protection regulations on a global level. So it's going to be an important consideration for all crypto businesses. Thanks, Anna. Um, so I think kind of probably a kind of key takeaway is for for, for everyone in the industry, um, definitely sort of very important for those um, to be updated on the developments. A lot of these things are very fast changing. And indeed, getting prepared, I think, ahead of the rules, particularly given the nature uh, of these changes and and, and disclosures and reports that need to be made. Um, That was really interesting, Anna. Um, That's all we have time for today. Um, I'm sure we could keep going on. uh, and Maybe we'll do another podcast. But uh, Thank you very much, Anna, for joining us today and giving us these valuable insights uh, into this important topic. Uh, Please stay tuned for further podcasts as a part of this financial services tax series.